I'm the cool dad. That's that's my thing. I'm hip. I, I surf the web. I text. LOL. Laugh out loud. OMG. Oh my god. WTF. Why the face? Um, you know, I know all the dances to high school musical. So. All right. Hello. Thanks for joining me on what is now going to be the fifth Kentucky Dad podcast. So I'm really having fun with it. I'm excited to have someone on today that I've known previously, somebody that I consider a friend. So I'm pumped about this one. And um, so Terry Brown's with me today. Terry, man, so good to have a, a fellow Brown on the podcast with me. That's right. We got to stick together, don't we? <laughs> we do. We do. And that was like one of my first things I wanted to mention to you that I thought was funny. Um, I actually have um, someone that's been helping me like research some stats and stuff it's a pretty cool new account and i was i had heard this before i think maybe um john wong or somebody maybe might have mentioned this to me before previously but that i thought that there was only one or two browns to ever play for uk and today i learned um that there's actually only been one one total to ever play for kentucky dale brown dale brown in the early 90s so surprise me man you would just think um i asked my wife that question just to kind of gauge what what uh her thought process would be with you know the decades long of kentucky basketball rosters and she said 30 so I, I do think it's kind of interesting one yes just just dale brown and every time a brown comes up i know greg brown was kind of in the his name was floating around for a little bit it's just it's it is just an absurd rarity to only have just the one in a hundred something years of basketball just the one yeah and then we missed out on the greg brown i know we had linked up a couple months over that kind of wide-eyed and it looked down the stretch like that was, uh, you know, probably not going to happen for UK. So missed another Brown, but shout out to the people getting me those stats though. Cause he, he's, he's doing a great job. If it is a he it could be a she, but it's at UK underscore cat facts. So they're doing a really good job of uh, quickly getting some research and stuff done there. So very cool stuff. So. Terry Brown joining us, Kentucky Dad Podcast. Um, you probably have seen some stuff Terry does if you follow Kentucky Sports. He does Cats Talk Wednesday with Vinny Hardy, which I've had a, a chance to go on before. And then the ESPN 680 postgame shows, which I know you kind of fell into this year, and it uh, kept us linked up together because, you know, I do some stuff with them. So, again, man, we appreciate you coming on, and I know that you're you're an outspoken father too, so I'm looking forward to chatting it up. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. So we can just, again, we can get started. And I kind of said this earlier, and I don't know that anyone would describe you as a quiet person, Terry, or somebody <laughs> that, that holds anything back. And um, specifically, I guess probably for that reason, I know I was kind of looking through your stuff again, and I know that many times you've talked about your own father and kind of that father figure in your life and how it shaped you with um your two girls. Two girls, right? We should have started there, right? And forgive me, I forget their, their names. I've got two girls. Uh Sarah is fourteen and Lauren is eleven. So uh when school resumes, whenever that is, I'll have a high schooler and a middle schooler. So woo <laughs> We've shared we've shared definitely some uh some growing pains with that together, talking about just the preteen and the teenage daughters. I know we, we share a lot of similarities and it's tough, but um, again, I'm trying to add some more structure to this a little bit and, and it gets hard because it's, you know, you get to talking and things just get off the rails. But um, again, kind of starting from the beginning and it, I, I read through the, the story again that, that you told of your father. And I know he was a police officer, so I won't take all that, but I, I love to just hear a little bit, Terry, about, you know, your childhood and that, you know, your father in particular and kind of how he molded you into, you know, the parent and the man that you are today. Uh, my dad was was that dude, uh, so to speak. Uh, he would tell people that he couldn't prove that the movie Shaft was based on him, but it kind of, <laughs> but it, but it kind of was. But uh, as you said, he, he was a police officer. 
He was an assistant chief of police here in Louisville. Uh, he had a 30 plus year career. Uh, before that he was in the Navy. And so I've got two older brothers. Uh, they both passed away, but I've got, uh, two older brothers. So there's three of us. There's a sizable gap between me and my brothers. So uh, a little bit unique in that respect. Uh, but my dad, he was, he was one of those, uh, I guess you could call him an old school guy. He meant what he said. He said what he meant. If he said no to something, that was the end of it. But if he said yes, you know, he would support you and, and, and back you up. But he was very, very tough, uh, but also very loving. And that, that's the way I've tried to incorporate with my girls as well is, you know, if you're wrong, I'm going to hold you to that. We're going to correct that wrong behavior. But if you're right, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the mat for you and I'm going to uh, support you, whatever you do. So, uh, that's how it was when I grew up and that's how, what I'm trying to do with, with my girls, uh, right now. And I know it's tough, man. I'm struggling. And one of, one of my one next topics is going to be COVID-19, which I'm excited to talk about just to see your coping strategy. See if I can pick anything up. Cause man, it's been the struggle bus here this week, but I, I've heard the story again, Terry, about your father. And I know that you're passionate and it's just great to hear because a lot of times, and I've discussed this, I think now in each one of these that we've done, you know, we look at these players at Kentucky basketball, just using as an example and how many um, of, of kids and athletes, especially, it always seems like they just don't have a father figure. They don't have anybody that they can talk about the way you just talked about your dad and, and how difficult that must be to come either play basketball at a place like Kentucky or do anything, even if you just stay home and, you know, you get a, get a normal job and without having that foundation at the beginning. So that just always resonates with me when I hear stories like that about, you know, strong father figures in people's lives. I know I always, I had a great dad that, they looked after me. And I guess what I'm getting at is just how hard can you imagine how hard I guess your life would have been had you not had him kind of land that that foundation and the groundwork for you? Oh, absolutely. I, I've, I've been very blessed and fortunate. Uh, you know, my dad passed away almost five years ago and I, you know, I think about him every single day. Uh, it's the, the funny thing that happens is when you're growing up with a dad that's that's involved and in doing the right kind of thing, you go through that stretch where you don't like him. Like I, I tell people all the time, there was a stretch probably when I was maybe 13 to 17, 18. I didn't really like my dad. You know, the high school years, we loved each other, but it was just kind of a, yeah, yeah, he's not really feeling me. I'm not really feeling him. And then you get older, and especially when you have your own kids, and that voice in your mind is your dad's voice. And you think how, you know, when situations come up, and it's like, hey, all those times I was he was he was always trying to teach me something. Uh, one of my favorite uh, scenes in a movie, uh, in a Marvel movie, is in Black Panther, where uh, if you've seen that, I, I know you know a lot of folks have seen that. But when uh, T'Challa goes to the ancestral plane and he sees his father that has died, and, and is and he's mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, I can't do this. I can't be the king. I need you here." And his dad says, "This is what I was training you for." You know, this is what I was getting you prepared for to be your own man. And that movie came out really you know, a short time after my own father passed away. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sitting in the theater, I'm crying. That that scene mm-hmm. just hit to me. And that's what being a father is. Like, you may not always get the accolades, you know, while you're doing your work. But at some point, that child, particularly a son, uh, will say, hey, I, I understand. I appreciate everything. Uh, that you did for me and my dad and I, we were able to ha- kind of have that uh, before he passed. And I really appreciate everything he did. That just sparked something with me too. One story I've been wanting to tell 
on this podcast or just somewhere in general is just kind of strange. And this was a perfect way to kind of introduce it. And it's what you just talked about in the fact of like kind of that remembrance, because we actually moved last summer and we moved very near a cemetery. Like I know you live in, in Louisville too, Terry. So, you know, like the kind of like Cave Hill Cemetery, Highland, yeah. Germantown area. It's just littered with cemeteries, you know. So we have one actually right across the street from us. Um, some people might think it's weird. I think it's great. No neighbors, very quiet. They keep up with it. It's fine. But anyway, so we've been here, uh, man, going on a year now, and we see people. I actually think it's kind of funny. There's a lady that comes every Sunday, and she, she she must have multiple people buried there because she goes from one grave to the next, and she's just talking to them like she they never missed a beat. What happened that week? What's going on? You can tell that I always appreciate that. But recently, I say maybe about a month, six weeks ago, it's just so clear, man, that a family lost their mother. Their dad is probably maybe mid forties. They clearly have two high school age kids, a son and a daughter, and man, they're here almost every day. Um, it just, sometimes one of them can't stand, they're so hysterical, sometimes it's the other. The dad's here by himself a lot, so it's just been really hitting home with our family, kind of making us sad, but at the same time, trying to do what you were just talking about and really remember those lessons and appreciate each other because you never know, man, that, that switch could flip and things could change. And it's kind of a weird, I guess, kind of weird thing, but me living so close to that cemetery has actually been like a reminder each day to make sure that I'm living it up, I guess. Absolutely. And, and you know, like I said, there's a 17-year gap between me and my next oldest brother. Uh, both of my oh, bro- okay. both of my brothers are born in 1960. One in January, one in December, and I was born in 1977. So, you know, fl- family planet's kind of weird in our family. But uh, my middle brother had a brain aneurysm in March of 1999 and passed away. And my older brother, oldest brother, uh, had a heart attack in September of 2000. So, you know, within 18 months of each other. And so, when you talk about living that every day, I've been trying to have that mindset, you know, since the year 2000, because you don't know, you know, they were both really, really healthy. And, you know, these, these events were very shocking to us. So when I'm talking about, I'm trying to live every day to the fullest, especially when it comes to my role as a father, I I know, you know, I I know exactly how you can wake up one day and your entire world is, is flipped around. So you have to not be dangerous, but you have to carpe diem. You have to enjoy those small moments. Something you just said, too, Terry, like uh, Tony Delk. I had Tony Delk on here for episode three. If you haven't listened to that one, it was great because I learned so much about one of my all-time favorite cats. But he had a much older father, too. I believe he told me his father was born in, like, 1918. So, I mean, his dad was, you know, much older, and he had much older siblings as well. So, interesting. I'm sure that would kind of shape you differently. And, man, it also kind of must be tough, you know, now that you're at your age to kind of see those close relatives leave and kind of close together like that. So I'm sure it was great to get all of that wisdom embarked on you, but man, it's probably difficult now. So what about, so do you have any siblings um, still living? Nope. It's it's, it's just me, Uh, me. And I'm uh, during this time of the road, I'm taking care of of mama B uh, as I'm uh, sure a lot of folks are. Well, good, good. All right, man. I want to hear more about Sarah and Laura then. So COVID coping, man. Like I said, I go back and forth all the time. Like there's days when it's the greatest day in the world, you know, works on a limited schedule. You just have more free time. Accountability is not as high. I feel like in every aspect. So there's days when I'm just, I'm loving it. It's great. It's peaceful. We've had some sweet weather lately, man. And then there's other ones where like I'm struggling this week. I got one kid grounded. So it's like, I can't have any fun or, or, you know, she's soaking in the fun with me. It's struggle, man. But so what does it, what does it kind of look like with you when you're spending time with your girls, man? What are you guys trying to, to well, do? Well, th- 
that that's the 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 real kicker to this whole corona for me is uh I'm divorced and uh so right now my ex-wife and I we decided she works in a medical uh facility so she's kind of at risk and I'm with my mother who uh, uh when when you look at all the risk groups she is in a lot of them uh so we kind of made the decision that uh the girls would be with her uh now that being said I still FaceTime I still drop stuff off to the girls at her house and different things like that. But as far as that, that, that one-on-one, you know, that two-on-one time, I'm definitely missing out on that. But thank goodness, you know, it's not the 1918 Spanish flu, it's 2020. So there are things that we can still do. We can still text. We can still, uh, I don't know if your, uh, kids, your oldest is into these memes. They, they get on whatever, uh, my girls send me memes all the time and all this kind of stuff. So we still do have that that back and forth. Uh, when they're doing schoolwork, I will help with that uh, kind of thing. So uh, I'm still involved, but it's not quite you know the way it the way it was. You know, just as I was asking you that, I was kind of wondering if if that had been you know an element that you guys had to make a decision on because I knew that you know you kind of split time with the girls. So. Ooh, man, I know that has to be tough, but you're right. And um, just kind of a, but right before we logged on, I was kind of doing a Zoom family get together with for my brother-in-law's birthday. And it was the first time that I would kind of done something like that over the last few weeks and not thought much about it. Like it was just kind of the new norm, you know, that we're online video chatting. And there, there's a lot of stuff I like about it and, and the way that it's going, because it does provide, I think, more like direct conversation than I guess if, if you were face to face or especially texting or something. But at the same time, still a little bit weird, still going to take a lot of getting used to. And I'm particularly worried about myself having to wear a mask for a long time because I'm just kind of OCD. Like I'm just fearing right now terry myself like fidgeting with a mask on my face for like a whole year or something we just don't know what the end game is like we when we think about those touchstone events in our lives the challenger explosion 9-11 those type of things there's always okay this happened and we kind of know what the end is this virus we don't know you know we can say okay by june 1st we should be able to do x y and z but we don't know. There's so many variables, and that's part of the exhaustion with trying to deal with it. You know, we've talked about, if you remember that, that night where Rudy Gobert, it came out that he had it. Mm-hmm. How fast that information, it went from maybe postponing things to stuff started getting canceled with like within two or three hours. So there's just so much information to process so quickly when it comes to this. And... You know, if I told you, hey, Drew, you've got to wear a mask for six months. Okay, you could you could kind of process that. But me telling you, you're going to have to wear this mask when you go out, and we don't know when you're going to be able to stop, that's something that is very difficult for a lot of people to kind of have to say, I'm going to have to do this. We don't know when. So there's so much mental drain being pushed on us right now that uh, you have to take little steps. Uh, to kind of keep yourself sane. Sure. And a lot of it too, I think is just the way we're presented information. Now, like you've mentioned those events and I think they're, they're good comparisons. The challenger, you know, even the Spanish flu, like all these major events, but the way information was disseminated is just so much different now. And I was talking to my, one of my best friends, um, covers news out in Silicon Valley area, like the Bay area. So he's plugged in and I always really will, will use him as a resource a lot of time for national news. 
just because you never know with the sensationalism and stuff. So yeah, that's been one thing that I'm definitely struggling with is just like the end game, what's going on next. And you're right, how fast it changes. I mean, something could change tomorrow and maybe we won't be, you know, doing anything until next year. So, but at least I keep saying, I feel like for about three or four episodes now, I've, you know, the, the positive news train is rolling. The trajectory, I think, is there. And if we can stay on our grind, maybe we will we'll get out of this sooner than later and have some sports this fall. But that's interesting. You know, I, you're my fifth guest here, and I haven't talked to anybody that this is – man, so talk about, you know, I've made selfish complaints, but, I mean, you're not able to see your kids, man. It's got to be very difficult. It It is. Uh, but, you know, luckily – I'm, I'm, I'm here with my mom. So, you know, we've got each other. She's been feeding me. She's been, mm-hmm. she's been in the kitchen doing her thing. So, but it is tough, uh, because, uh, like I said, I went through a divorce and the way I have it set up, I'd never go two or three days without seeing my girl. Cause, uh, that way it kept me involved. I, I, I try to be an involved dad, uh, at the girls elementary school. They have a program, the watchdog program, dads of great students a program, an initiative to get dads involved in the school where I will typically take one day a month, maybe two days a month and go and be in the school all day. Uh, I enjoy that kind of thing, uh, not only for my girls, but uh, as you're talking about, there are some of those kids that don't have father figures. You know, there was a little boy in, uh, in Sarah's grade that was a Kentucky fan. And we talked about, you know, I, I want to say this was like maybe the Anthony Davis year maybe shortly thereafter, but we had a nice back and forth. And, you know, I'm covering the, able to cover a lot of the games and you get all that swag when you go to the games, right? You get the official box score, you get the little programs. And I would bring that stuff to him, but I would say, hey, are you doing what you're supposed to do? His teacher would say, no, he's done X, Y, and Z. I said, hey, man, you got you to gotta step it up so I can give you this stuff. So uh, when you're able to have that kind of influence on somebody else, I enjoy that kind of thing too. Uh, on on top of being there for my girls as, as, as well. What about are the UK fans, Terry or Sarah and Lauren? Are you raising some UK fans? I feel like I've seen some pictures because they live in Louisville, uh, so you never know. Well, yeah. So, uh, Lauren, my youngest, she went through a phase where uh, a family friend gifted her a Louisville shirt, so she wore it just to. Uh, annoy me. And once I stopped reacting, it went to the wayside. Uh, Sarah is kind of gone in and out a little bit. For some reason, she uh, she became an old Miss fan of all things, which was weird. But uh, the biggest challenge now is my girls are into uh, field hockey and lacrosse, two sports that UK does not have. Oh, oh wow. I didn't know they didn't have them. We've talked about this before, man. Whew, yeah. dear, good luck to you on that one because I know it's it's expensive. They're both outside. It's something you don't, you know, watch and see. But you've also talked to me. I remember when we spoke about that before that it's cool, too. You know, it's something different and it's something I remember you explaining to me specifically that you can kind of just let loose with a little bit because you don't know nothing about no lacrosse. So, you know, you're just out there having fun and letting letting the, the knowers teach. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's the thing, I, I think. I have a better appreciation for those dads uh, where they're coaching their kid, like, you know, uh, Tubby and Saul, Tubby and Gigi, uh, even Eddie Sutton and Sean, even uh, Bobby Knight and Pat Knight. It's really hard to turn that off. I had one, like, season at the Y where I was helping with Sarah's team, 
And it's really that that line is really hard between coach and dad. It's like when do you shut that off? So I think for me, the fact that they've picked some sports that I'm not familiar with, like I can't tell them, you know, if it's basketball, I can tell them how I would approach a pick and roll or what they need to do on defense. But with these sports, I don't know. So I stay a fan more. I stay just a supportive parent, and I don't find myself critiquing as much if it was, you know, football or softball, something like that, where I had a little bit of a background. I could totally see that. And when you explained it to me, it made sense. My apprehension, and man, I know if I ever see that permission slip come home, I'm just going to put my hands in my face because, man, not only is it a, uh, you know, a different sport, but all that equipment they got to have and buy, and I'm sure they're growing out of it and needing better socks and sticks and all that stuff. So at least if it's a sport, you know, that I guess like uh, my daughter played soccer one, one year when she was like four or five down in Florida, but it was sweet because it was indoor soccer, like on the hockey thing. So the ball wasn't always going out of bounds and stuff. And I had a very similar experience because, you know, she wasn't a great soccer player. I didn't know anything about soccer, but I knew the ball needed to go through the net. So we would go and we would cheer and she had fun and we had fun probably more so than other sports because that kind of led me to this too, Terry, because I think almost everybody has talked about this that has an athlete um, as a child. So what does that car ride look look like home? Are you somebody like me that typically botches that conversation and is a little too firm? Or we've heard people like uh, Bradley McKee and TJ Beisner have a really good kind of calculated plan for that car ride home and kind of their, their first initial reaction when they, they talk to one of their kids after a sporting event. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm the I'm the parent. I, I try to be laid back, but I pace around during the games. Uh, at Sarah's uh, middle school games, uh, you know, people bring out the chairs and everything like that. I don't, I don't do that. I pace around, so I don't know how I'm going to do when high school is a little bit more regimented. But the one thing I always demand of: you've got to put forth effort. You've got to. Uh, I'm not going to put up with bad body language. You're not going to, you know, say anything to your coach, and it's going to be. Uh, I try to be constructive. If it's a win, if it's a loss, okay, how do you think you did? What do you think you could have done differently? You know, those are questions you have to ask. Uh, a real great clip that kind of helped me with that is Frank Martin, you know, uh, South Carolina's basketball coach. And he talked about with his sons playing basketball. And his sons coming to him complaining about not getting the playing time. And he said, you don't need to complain to me. You need to go to your coach, and you need to figure that out. And that's what I try to do is you can't give me all these excuses. What are you doing to get better? You know, once you get out of that YMCA league uh, and you start playing in middle school and up into high school, number one, you have to make the team. And number two, if you're not doing what you're supposed to, the coach is not going to play you. So my Man, word of I advice to my girls is, what are you doing to make yourself on, you know, where you can't sit on the bench? What are you doing? What are you not doing? Man, I can already tell from that passionate speech you just gave, Terry, that you're a dad like me. You're giving, you're, you're setting them up for like running for president in the car. And I know <laughs> that's good and bad. I know that, and, and I always tell my daughter, and she knows this 100%. Um, you know, Lily knows that it, it's a, from a place of love, and we just want them to be their best. But I know sometimes that that's, and boy, and boy whoo, as great as my dad, you know, was and is, he was our coach in Little League and stuff too. So I, I know I've had some painful car rides home, but you know, like, like the old uh, parenting saying goes, you know, it builds character, I guess. And you know, they, they need to hear that. And sometimes 
Uh, specifically, they need that tough love, which is what I've been experiencing this week, mentioning that my, my 12 year olds are grounded with just same old stupid, you know, abusing social media type things. And, but I feel like I have a good plan, Terry. And let me bounce it off you and see my, this has been my strategy actually as punishment for, for a long time. I've, I've done this, but usually when she's grounded, so I make her read classic books. Like just this week, she read Lord of the Flies. She's finishing up, um, Tom Sawyer written by, Mark Twain. So, and she likes it. Then I give her a quiz on the computer for some accountability. And um, I'm thinking, you know, that by the time she gets, you know, old enough to where I can't punish her, that if nothing else, she's going to be able to, you know, have some nice cocktail party. Oh, I've read that. I've read that type situation. <laughs> well, and th- the thing is, you've got to find what works. Like I've, you know, uh, the nature versus nurture. I've got two girls and you can't parent them the same way. Being fair doesn't mean you treat all your kids the same. It's like being a coach. You, there's there's certain players that you can yell at, and that's their motivation. There's certain uh, players that you've got to sit down and be more analytical with. With my oldest, I can just raise my voice just a little bit, and she usually falls in line. Lauren, my youngest, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I've got to come from a different angle and say, look, this is what we're trying to do. This is what I need you to do to get you to buy into this. So it's it's one of these things. I think the biggest mistake of parents of more than one is you try to, the same rule just can't apply blanketly to everybody. And you can't even say, okay, well, you know, because your sister did this at age 12, you'll be able to do it. There's way too many variables that go into it. So, so discipline has got to be very unique. One thing I always learned from my parents was, it wasn't just punishment for punishment. Let's talk about what brought about the punishment. I mean, you're still going to get the punishment, but let's talk about it a little bit. What could you have done different? You know, why why we keep running to the same issue with you talking in class? What do, what do we need to do to kind of give you some other options? So I try to attack it like that. And then as they grow, you know, that changes as well. One thing I tell some of my friends when they're having kids is, by the time you kind of figure out one age, you know, they've they've jumped to the next step. By the time you figure out, man, I know what my 12-year-old is doing, bam, she turns 13, and the game's changed. So you have to continue to adapt and still be their parent, but, but you have to do it differently. It's tough, man. It really is. I know that, you know, I tell my wife all the time whenever something comes up, I'm like, Babe, if you found 12-year-old Big Blue Drew and I could have my fingertips on anything that I wanted on the other side of an internet, because I know what I was doing, I'd ride my bike 100 miles to see a picture I wasn't supposed to see or, you know, something. So just being a kid in this day and age, I feel like it's just, it's got to be tough because, you know, everything's on stage and, and you have your your fingertips at everything. But luckily, I have, I have good kids and, you know, if nothing else, she's going to fall in line or she's going to be you know, she's going to be very versed on some classic American literature. <laughs> uh, but real quick, man, before we move on, I want um, I kind of want to introduce a, a newish segment to the show that I meant to do at the beginning that I'm going to kind of tie in at the end. But first, um, let's take a quick sponsor break here. All right, and we're back. Tucky Dad Podcast, Drew Brown and Terry Brown, the Brown Brothers kicking it. And um, before I talk about this new segment, Terry, I think uh, I think we're laying the groundwork for like a brown and brown morning show or something like that, like TB and DB in the mornings here in Louisville or something. I think that that that, you know, that's not such a crazy thing to talk about. 
yeah, I was looking for that because uh, when you tweeted out uh, about the Brown brothers uh, earlier this year, when, back when we were having sports, the Padres are bringing back their brown uniforms. and They had this whole ah. social media thing that said Brown is back, and I was looking for that. I need to, I need to find that. I need to find that one. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. That would that would be good. I know you're a big baseball uniform guy too, so so you would yeah, know absolutely. all the good ones. But all right, so I'm trying to again. I, I meant to tee this up because my my plan is hopefully it's a good plan. I want to try to start each episode now. I'm going to play like a funny like TV or movie dad clip, and maybe even engage the you know the guests with me a little bit on who's their favorite TV dad. So what I meant to do was kind of introduce it because I'm going to go back and um, start this episode hopefully anyway. With a, a quote um, as Phil Dunphy for Modern Family as the the cool dad. So I don't know if you watch Modern Family, Terry, but Phil Dad Phil Dunphy yeah. is hilarious. So let me go oh, ahead. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and play that clip again real quick. Then I'm hopefully you also hear heard at the beginning of this. Let's hear. It. I'm cool dad. That's that's my thing. I'm hip. I, I surf the web. I text. LOL. Laugh out loud. OMG. Oh my God. WTF. Why the face? Um, you know, I know all the dances to high school musicals. So. <laughs> that, that's one of my favorites. I love Phil Dunphy. And the older I get, like the more experience I get under me, like the lamer I'm getting. And I am, I fake all the dances. I'm like that one viral dad. So I don't know. I just love it. But um, Terry, it puts you on the spot a little bit. But do you have a favorite or any of your favorite like TV dads or movie dads, just just famous dads? I always tell folks I was raised by the Huxtables of the Cosby Show. Oh, okay. Uh, except my dad used a little bit more profanity because he was in the Navy. <laughs> but uh, there's that. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the Cosby Show, uh, uh, Theo has got a bunch of D's on his report card. And Cliff comes home and Claire says, you got to go talk to the war. So he goes upstairs. And he talks to him, and Theo gives him this speech, like, I would still love you if you weren't a doctor. I would still love you if mom wasn't a lawyer, and, and love is all we need. And the studio audience goes, oh. And without missing <laughs> beat, uh, Cliff says, that's the dumbest thing I've heard before in my life. He said, you're going to get good grades because I demand you get good grades. And that was pretty much a similar conversation that I had uh, with my dad at one point in time. I was like, look, you and mom are great. I'm trying. He's like, hey, you're going to get good grades because I'm telling you to get good grades. So definitely uh, Cliff Huxtable uh, is on that list. I do like Modern fi- uh, Family. Phil Dunphy is great. That, that, that millennial, not millennial, but like late 2000s kind of dad, uh, movies dad. I like Pops from Friday. Uh, yeah, Pops is a good one. <laughs> John Witherspoon. And he was great on the Wayans Brothers uh, show. But I like, uh, I call it daddy porn, those kind of movies. You're taking your commando where somebody, you know, is messing with your, messing with your daughter. You just got to go kill a bunch of Hungarians. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, is, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, those are good. I hadn't thought about those much because I'm definitely entering that phase of, of fatherhood to a girl very similar ages as yours um, to where, yeah, that's a real life thing. Like, I'm going to have to get a gun. There's some little skateboarding kid around here or something already. So I'm, I'm going to have to do some type of scare tactic because that is uh, becoming all too real of a scenario. Yeah. Let me, let me just share this story real quick. Uh, when I kind of maybe went too far, let me look. So my oldest oh, daughter, Sarah, okay. she, she was a cheerleader, uh, in first and second grade. It's elementary school cheerleader and they cheered at basketball games. So I dropped her off one morning. I, I was the drop off parent. And this little boy 
says, Mr. Brown. And I said, what? Because that's what you got to say, little boys. I said, what? He said, is Sarah going to the basketball game tonight? I said, well, yeah, you know, she's a cheerleader. She'll be there. And this fifth grader looked at me and he said, well, that's good because I like Sarah because she, she cheers the best. I'm like, she don't cheer the best. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. And then it clicked. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So he was he was a little sweet on Sarah. So at the end of the year, they have this parents versus kids basketball game. And so the lead up to it, we're going back and forth. Mr. Brown, I'm going to take you this, that, and the other, and all this kind of stuff. He hurt my feelings because he, he said Kobe was old news. This was a few years ago. He said, Kobe was an old man. I said, you need to respect my dude. So this, now keep in mind, he's the fifth grader, right? And I'm a full-grown man. He drives to the basket, and I jumped up like I was Akeem Olajuwon, caught the ball like on my forearm, and threw it into the stands. And it was like something out of a movie. Everybody stopped, and I was like, maybe I went too far to prove a point. But as a dad, that's what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> now, that's a good one, man. I'm, I'm sure I've probably done something <laughs> similar that I didn't even, like, realize I was doing. But, man, you you got to do that. And, and, hell, I say if if you're balling up, man, and a fifth grader's going to the hole, there ain't no better time to learn whether or not they're after your daughter or not. So I think I think you did a good job on that one. And, man, I can't yeah. imagine because you're, you're at that. Uh, oh, and uh, so what? So your your daughter was in eighth grade this year, right? Yes. Damn it, man. That's two dads in a row that I've had on. I feel terrible, awful, awful for fifth graders, eighth graders, and twelfth graders, man. Eighth grade especially. I feel like eighth grade was like one of the best, you know, second half of the years of your whole life. You know, it's just all fun and enjoying times with your friends. You're kind of finishing up your adolescence a little bit. So I really hate that for her, man, that she missed out on all that stuff. Yeah, you know, having a fifth grader and eighth grader this year, they missed out on all that end-of-the-year stuff. And Like, I've seen people on social media, like, oh, if you're that worried about high school, then what kind of loser are you? And I'm like, look, how much does it does it pay just to be empathetic? Like, I know in retrospect, whoever was homecoming king my senior year, like, I don't even know. But at the time, when I was 17, it was a big deal. So it's okay to to to, to hurt for these kids missing out on things while also, you know, the big scheme of things, you know, your eighth grade year, what does it matter when you're 42 like I am? But still, you know, missing out on their those trips in fifth and eighth grade, missing out on those kind of rites of passage that we all kind of take for granted, uh, definitely, you know, we've had long conversations with my girls about uh, about both of them. Yeah, that's a good point, man. You're, you're, you're wise, Terry. You really are. You could, you could tell how this um, large – I'm kind of working on the, the write-up for this, too, and I titled it as – your larger than life father figure and how he kind of molded you in. But yeah, man, you bring a lot of wisdom because that is a good point. Cause I wouldn't have said that. I would have just, man, I can't think of much good in that situation or, or at least anything to soften that blow, but you're right. You know, you won't remember it that much. And hopefully, and another thing too, man, not to pile it on with that, but I was talking to my daughter just about how, you know, if she was the fifth grader, how nervous, you know, you are to start middle school. That's such an, a nerve wracking summer waiting to start middle school. So having COVID-19, you know, strip you of the kind of the end, it's going to be a weird scenario. But I guess at this point, we should just be hoping that, you know, they start school in the fall at all because, damn, I need some daycare and some, you know, eight hours of school in my life soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's the thing is, again, goes back to what I said kind of at the top is we don't know. We still, you know, we can't 100 percent say with certain what school will look like in September. So we're all kind of in that in between stage and that's what i've tried to communicate with the girls as well 
it's not just them. Uh, there are people in all facets of life that, you know, this thing is going to reverberate for decades to come. Like, let's just say that on August 1st, everything goes back to quote unquote normal. There's still going to be all these kind of, you know, you throw a rock into a lake and you get those, those rings that kind of come out from it. I mean, we're going to be seeing this for a long time to come. This is going to be one of those events that's going to be even bigger than 9-11, even bigger than some of those other things. This is going to have some of those, uh, I don't want to say reverberations that are going to be felt for a long, long time. If I remember correctly, with the times we've talked here, you don't you, and you don't have to get too much into it if you don't want to, but, but your primary, you know, big boy job is, is something related to like a call center, right? Which I think is going to be one of the most hardest hit, um, you know, places or industries, I guess, sectors of the workforce to try to, you know, find a new model to operate in. Yeah. I've actually, I've been, I've been furloughed, but, uh, I'm for, more fortunate than most have, you know, savings and, and whatnot. So, I'm not out on the street just yet, but yeah, it's been a challenge. Uh, you know, all these people talking, you know, I don't want to get political, but hey, look, when I look at my own situation, my job, and I have, you know, not being able to see and hug my kids, like I'm, I'm carrying a pretty big burden right now, but I still want to make things right for everybody else. You know, I still want to wear my mask. I still want to do all these things, uh, to kind of play by the rules so we can get over this and get back to whatever that, new new normal is going to be i'm with you i just keep saying too that it it, a switch isn't going to flip and everything's going to go back to normal there's going to be some like concentrated uh, everything's going to change you know like i work for a huge huge company and they're gonna everyone's got a team right now focusing on how to deploy their workforce from home when needed or as much as necessary right now and, you know, it, it, and a lot of, I think, you know, simplicities are going to be added that really make sense. Like, I'll give a great example, like, great time to do something with the mortgage rates were low. So we refinanced our mortgage, like, this was probably like mid, late March. And we were the very first one at a large t- title company here in Louisville that did a drive up mortgage closing. Like, we just drove up. They brought us the paperwork. I signed it. I was done in three minutes. And we left and I looked at my wife. I'm like, you know, the, I love that. I'm like, we would have went in there, had to park, got out of the car, offered some water, all these pleasantries. All we wants to save a hundred bucks on our mortgage, you know? So I'm with the efficiencies and the fact that I think there is going to be a lot of more permanent things that we see. And I'm all for it because I don't necessarily need all the, the extra bells and whistles to, you know, procure a product or a service, I guess. Ab- absolutely. I think what we have found out when we debate what's essential, what's not essential is how much of the world we were living in in January kind of was extra and not necessary, right? You know, we could find out that there are more people that could work from home than we were given the opportunity. All those things like you're talking about, what took three minutes probably would have been half hour, 45 minutes or longer in the old world. So we're going to see some positives come out of this once, you know, we kind of get over that hump. Well, I miss you, man. I miss all my, my media guys. I said that it was very biggest kick in the stomach ever, you know, not getting to go to Nashville for the basketball tournament and the NCAA tournament. And it's just been weird, too, because, you know, I see or at least talk to you guys all the time, you know, during the season. And we're kind of used to having that that closure where we say, all right, you know, we'll holler at you at the spring game and, you know, we'll dap up. It's all over. Right. And, you know, without us getting that this year, man, I miss you guys. So I'm hoping we get a chance to kind of hang out and and see each other maybe, you know, hopefully as a, a normal college football season, which 
it seems like the coaches are really lobbying for. So I hope we get that opportunity, man. But to, to end it up, I appreciate your time on the Kentucky Dad Podcast, episode five. I'm having a, a great time with it. But um, did you come with a, a dad joke? Do you got a dad joke for us? I, I, I did have a dad joke. Hold it, bear with me one moment. I can go first then because um, I, I, I put this is one of the ones I put out this week. Make sure you're following us at Kentucky Dad Pod on Twitter. But it's a steaming pot picture. It's more like a meme, I guess. And it says, RIP bottled water, you will be missed. And then it has some mist coming out of the pot. So that was a good one. I like that. <laughs> All right. How about <laughs> this? <laughs> you're an American when you go into the bathroom, and you're an American when you come out. But what are you while you're in there? What? European. <laughs> That's a good one, man. You got that one good. That, that was a that was a three parter too. You know, normally they just come with the the one lead in. So well done, man. I I think out of uh, you definitely had the the best dad joke. I think out of out of all five guests. So man, thank you. Like I said, you're somebody that um not only do I you know look up to and you gave a lot of reasons why today, but also somebody that you know I consider a friend and I appreciate Absolutely. you you know taking some time and. I'm sure that we will cross paths hopefully soon. Well, I certainly appreciate it, Drew.